Welcome everyone to the Asian Voices Radio Podcast, where you'll find real Asian American conversations about all things, including the topics you were too afraid to ask your Asian parents. I'm your host, Hula Ramos, and on today's show, we are going to be talking to Miss Sasha Fu. Sasha is well known as the first Asian American news anchor at CNN in Atlanta. In her career, she has covered news events in nine cities, including Los Angeles, where she's anchored at KCOP TV. She's also been seen in San Francisco, in New York, in Seattle, in Boston, and most recently, you've seen her right here in San Diego on KUSI. Ladies and gentlemen, it is my honor to bring you Miss Sasha Fu. How are you doing, Sasha? I'm doing well. Thanks so much for inviting me to be part of this podcast. I'm very excited about it. I don't really talk that much about my career, but you know what? I am delighted to be here. And as you noted, I have been around the map. I mean, if you push pin for every city I've been, I mean, it starts, I grew up in Chicago. I went to school near Boston. Then I transferred to a school near Cleveland. I did mm-hmm. my first internship and job in Philadelphia, then Boston, Tulsa, Atlanta, Seattle, Boston, New York, Los Angeles, San Francisco, and finally San Diego. No, and and I have to tell you, um, getting that opportunity uh, to see you in San Diego, you know, for me, I'm, I'm born and raised here in San Diego, and I see you on TV. You're this beautiful Asian American woman who I sit back and I go, oh my gosh, you know, there's another Asian on TV. Um, and, and it's so great to see, you know, how much of a role model you've been for a lot of Asian Americans and, and just uh, in general women. I mean, I mean, come on, you're amazing. And I said this because you and I were both honored in an award ceremony. And I said this to you, um, there, and I'll say it on this podcast. I, I just thank you for, you know, trailblazing, you know, cliche as it sounds, you, you definitely trailblazed it for a lot of Asian Americans. Well, thank you. Thank you for acknowledging that. You know, it's been a kind of double-edged sword, Hula. I can say that sometimes I did not want to tell people I was the first Asian American anchor at CNN because then they would do the math. <laughs> well, okay, you're you're not alone. I yeah, no. Uh, I because, mean, because you know, in our in our business, especially uh-huh. in television news, oh yeah, there is a lot of There is ageism. Yes, yes. Especially as it applies to women. Mm -hmm, So mm -hmm. um, as you know, you can see there's older men who are anchors, but the women, many times they're 20, 30 years, they're junior. So women are not really allowed to get older. Do you know what I mean? Right. And you know what? I want to definitely touch about that because being in the radio business that I was in, I you know, have run across a lot of uh, other, you know, anchors, uh, female, uh, you know, television personalities like yourself. But let's just start at the very beginning. Tell us, you know, where you grew up, how you became interested in broadcast journalism. I grew up in Skokie, Illinois. I went to a school called Niles West. Um, My parents were both professionals. My father worked for the federal government. He was a civil engineer. And my mother was a family therapist. She has a a master's degree in social work. They were both very highly educated folks. Mm -hmm. They came here just before the Chinese revolution in 1949. And they were part of that group who I called the stranded students. These were students who uh, imagine if you send your kid off to study abroad in, Mm -hmm. you know, Israel or England or France for a year or two, 
Well, that's what happened to my parents. They came here to, to the United States to pursue higher education. There was a revolution in China and it was not safe for people from their social class to return. So mm -hmm. they ended up staying in America. They met here and uh, got married and raised a family. And uh, my, they had me, I'm the eldest, and then my uh -huh. sister um, who's two years younger. So there was just us, this is a very small nuclear family, me, my father, and my, mother, my mother and father, my sister and myself. So I got involved in a lot of different things. In high school, I always wanted to be, I was a, kind of a, interested in drama and theater arts. Okay. But my parents were aghast. They didn't, you know, the Chinese immigrant parents, you don't go into show business because that's, uh -huh. <laughs> that's not a legitimate uh, <laughs> profession as far as the Chinese um, parent is concerned. No, you have to become, you know, you have to go to law school or you have to go right. to medical school or you have to become a, a scientist. That's you right. Don't go into show business. That's ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> but I always had a love of writing and I was a good writer. And when I was in high school, I remember I took a journalism course and the high school teacher said, well, you should think about going into television. I'm like, what? He goes, yeah, you know, <laughs> Think about going into television. And he mentioned at the time, Connie Chung. Oh. Interestingly, huh? Yeah. You know, how'd you take that? I thought, oh, well, that's interesting. I, I didn't really embrace it at the time. I was, you know, a high school senior or something. I, my junior year, I just told a friend, I said, well, I'm not really sure what I want to do, but my parents are putting all this pressure on me to do something, you know, that has a career path. So I said, I've always been a pretty good writer and I enjoy that. So I'm thinking about becoming, going into television journalism, broadcast journalism. And my right. friend looked, like, looked at me like I was crazy. Like I was, I was going to scale Mount Everest. Like what? <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, well, well, why not? And he just like, okay. You know, cause that, I mean, you're 20, 21 years old and you're saying, I'm going to become a broadcast journalist. Come on. It's, right. It's, it doesn't seem like a, it's a goal that's achievable, but I fortunately was able to, um, when I was a senior, I had an off-campus semester. It was an urban studies program in okay. Philadelphia, and I interned at a all-news radio station. Back in the day, Hula, you know, radio, they actually had radio stations that were 24-hour news. Imagine. Yes, that. I know. That's an odd idea, you think, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, Westinghouse Broadcasting was the king of 24-hour news. So they had all news radio stations in five different markets, including uh, Philadelphia. So I okay. was in, I interned there. I was accepted into what they called the management training program. And, you know, I don't know at the time if that was actually a means of promoting more diversity. The mm -hmm. word diversity was never mentioned, but okay. I was one of only about 10 people selected that year. So I had a paid internship and basically I tagged around, tagged along with the reporters in the newsroom one of the reporters at the time, I didn't get to tag along with her, was Andrea Mitchell. You know who she is? And yes, I correspondent. do. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, I. she worked at KYW. She wasn't in, she worked out of her own office at Philadelphia City Hall, but there were some very good journalists at the station. That's sort of my point there. Right. And after uh, that internship, which was a paid internship, I was hired as a writer for the 
uh, radio newsroom. Right. I was not, a, I don't think I was a very good writer because I didn't know how to write for broadcast journalism. And I remember at one point I would write these scripts for the anchors, the radio anchors. And mm-hmm. I remember one woman who, I, it, remember it also, this was typewriters. These were typewriters, not computers. Right. No, I, I was there during the typewriter era. I had to take typewriter, uh, typing class. So I, yeah, I was there. <laughs> so I would produce these typewritten scripts. And oftentimes I didn't, you know, I, I was not a great typist. So there were all these scratch outs and, you know, mm. things in pen corrections. And I remember one day giving her the script and this anchor looked at it and then she threw the script across the room wow. and said, I can't read this shit. <laughs> wow. No way. That was very humbling. <laughs> were you devastated? I mean, like, yeah, at that moment where you're like, okay, fine, I don't want to do this anymore. Like, was it, how did you take that? No, I was kind of humiliated. I think it was because there were so many scratch outs and, you know, I had tried to change the words with pen because there were so many typos. Right. I don't think she could see the script very, I don't think she could read the copy very well. I think it was more that than it was ungrammatical. I don't think it was ungrammatical. But right, yeah, right, right. I mean, it was kind of embarrassing because she did it in front of the entire newsroom. She hurled a script across the room. Wow. Oh, my gosh. But, um, yeah, I mean, I was a good writer. I just wasn't trained as a writer for journalism. A lot of kids, well, young people now, they go to school and they are trained in journalism. I had a d- degree in sociology. Okay. Okay. So then, yeah, you're learning basically on the job of how to, to be a journalist in essence. This, I'm going to be long winded, but one of the aspects of this job as a writer on Saturday and Sunday, I had to sit in a room and listen to the radio scanners, like the police and radio scanners. Right. And right. if there was a two alarm fire on spring street, I had to listen to the radio, call up the fire department and ask them, when was the first alarm? How many people do you have finding this fire? Is it in the attic? You know, and write up a little short, right? Right, right, right. Um, the most incredible thing happened when I was doing that one week and I was not that confident in what I was doing. Remember I had no other journalism training. The editor who's the person who kind of runs the news desk and mm-hmm. I would turn in my script to the editor. The editor would give it to the anchors. She said, you need to call the state department, Sasha. I said, the state department in Washington. She said, yeah, the state department in Washington. She actually didn't like me either. So yes, oh. the state department in Washington. I said, why? She said, because we have um, gotten word on the wire, AP wire, that the California congressman has been killed in Guyana. So there was a California congressman who had made a trip, um, a fact-finding trip to Guyana uh-huh. to visit a community that was led by a man named Jim Jones. It's starting to come back to me now. Okay, the People's Temple. Yes, okay, yes, okay. So this this broke on the weekend when I was the, the name of the position was the correlator. So I had to, this story was breaking and unfolding hour by hour. (sighs) And I had to call this, I was 22 years old. I'm calling the U.S. State Department in Washington saying, hi, I'm calling from KYW News Radio. (laughs) And I was 
they are telling me, I said, you know, the, the wires are saying that there's reports of a mass suicide and wow. Hula, it was, I, I'm, my mind is blown because I'm on the phone in to these people in Washington. I'm like 22 years old and I'm, or 21 years old. And I'm saying, um, and what's the death toll now? Because every hour it went up. And by the end of the day, it was like hundreds of people were dead. Wow. I mean, I mean, you know, being 21 and, and go, 22, going to that situation, like, do you, did you go into like an autopilot sensation or do you like, you know, did you even think during that time? Like, do you even remember? I remember just being on the phone, um, thinking I'm getting information on this horrific incident from the U S state department in Washington. You know, it's just like, who would have imagined that in real time, I'm gathering information that I'm, that's being disseminated to, you know, a radio news audience in Philadelphia. I mean, it was a major, it was a big deal story and it still is. I mean, decades right. later, we right. can hardly, you know, it's, it's impossible to kind of comprehend the scope of that, of, no. of the lives lost and the madness that was taking place that day. I, I, I totally agree. It's a, it's a situation. I mean, I, I, early on in my radio career, I mean, it was not, I mean, I had been doing radio for like five years or so, but um, 9-11 happened right in front of my eyes. Somebody literally called me on the phone. They said, oh my gosh, did you see what happened? I'm like, what are you talking about? And I walked into our news, uh, radio news, uh, you know, station and watched as the second plane hit the towers. And would then had to be on the air and talk about it. So I totally know what you, you went through and how you felt and just a numbness and all of those emotions all at once. Yeah. I don't think I had time to process actually what was happening while I was in the moment. Cause I was too right. busy trying to keep up with the ever increasing numbers of victims. That was what struck me. Oh my God. You know, it's not every day that you hear like 400, 500 people die Right. Like this. Right. It's right. And it's something that sticks with you for the rest of your life. And obviously, you know, has helped shape you to become who you are as far as, as as a journalist. And and during this time frame, though, as you're there at this radio station, is that when you start to, you know, okay, you know, realize like I can be this journalist. I am going to be this journal. Like, you know, as far as your philosophy of journalism, like when did that all become? When did it start? I don't know that I ever said, oh, I'm going to be this fantastic journalist. I think that I knew I could do the work. A part of me, which I've becoming, I've become more aware of as I get older, is I've always been competitive. I, okay. I always wanted to strive to be more, strive to be more. And that kind of helped me because I would say I did not have a smooth path. I had I had jobs and I, I, I can be frank about this. Mm-hmm. You know, I told you about all the cities that I worked in, right? Right, right. And some of that was because I got fired or I lost the job or they didn't renew my contract or right. all kinds of different things. You know, um, somebody can bring you in and say, oh, we're going to really promote you. We, we love your work. And then the person who hires you leaves after two months. That happened to me in Seattle. Yep. The person who hired mm-hmm. me left. And the person mm-hmm. who took over looked at me and said, <laughs> I don't really like you. I don't really like your work. Um, you're going to be mm-hmm. gone in, you know, eight months. When you finish your contract, you're gone. 
Mm-hmm. And I had no power to control that. I mean, I, she had already decided she didn't really like me and didn't want my, want to see much of my work. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, some of this is outside your control, unfortunately. Right. And I find it, it, it seems uh, it, to mirror what, you know, the radio business, what I've had to go through with that too. I, it seems like, you know, for you, it's, yeah, you're right. If somebody hires you and then they're gone, they no, more than likely you may be going out the door too. Yeah, they want to hire, you know, you know, the phenomenon, a new boss comes in, they want to hire their own people, the people they work with in Dayton or the people they work with in St. Louis, or they know somebody they've been wanting to bring in from, you know, Poughkeepsie or whatever. Right. And you're not their people, right? You're not their people. Right. So then, uh, you know, you've you've gone through this career of, you know, being fired, being on the air. When and where you know, how did that lead you to become the first Asian American female news reporter at CNN? How did that happen? The first Asian anchor. Uh, that was kind of by accident. I was in Tulsa. That was my first reporting job. This was uh, 1980. And um, CNN had already started. And then Ted Turner announced he was going to start CNN 2, which now is known as Headline News. Okay, yes. But at the time, it was going to be CNN, too, and they were hiring. And I sent a tape in. And wow, I got a phone call saying, yeah, we're gearing up. Can you be here next month or three weeks? Wow. So we're moving to Atlanta in December of 1980. 1980, I believe, in 1981, I'm sorry, because they went on the air in 82. Right. And we we had like three weeks to get ready. Everybody, it was like summer camp. It was like everybody was new. Nobody knew each other. You know, we were making friendships on the fly. It was fun. I mean, everybody was very young. Right. Almost all of us were under 25 or 26. Uh Uh-huh. Directors were, you know, 19, 20, 21 years old. Everybody was kind of, or just fresh out of college. And um, we got an, we got a cable news network on the air. Wow. Oh, that gives me chills. Like, it's so cool that you, you know, to be a part of that. I mean, for you, did you realize, I mean, obviously you probably maybe realize that later in life that you, you started something amazing. Yeah, it was part of something amazing. And it was kind of, it was kind of cool. And um yeah, I, I wasn't really sure where this network was going. It was too, you know, CNN in, in those right. early days was not this respected or, well, some people don't respect CNN right now, but um, it, was, <laughs> right. it did not have the scope of influence that it has today. Um, it was, you know, the early days, the fact that correspondents used to joke that the other networks used to call it chicken noodle network. Oh, right? uh, yes. I've, yeah, I've heard that. I was there at Headline News, and then I went to CNN, the regular CNN. And how was it working there? I worked um, the overnight shift, which was not the easiest shift. It also Mm -hmm. didn't have the most exposure, except on the West Coast, which was interesting. Um, So I did a midnight show called Newsnight, and it was produced in Atlanta at midnight. But on the West Coast, of course, it was 9 o'clock, so primetime. So it's funny, years later, uh, people come up to me principally in California and they say, Oh, I kind of remember you from CNN. Like, yeah. Cause it was nine o'clock. <laughs> <laughs> so 
So then, uh, you know, flash forward as you're there, you end up coming to San Diego, KUSI. How do you end up there? Oh my gosh, Hula. I mean, between CNN and San Diego, there were probably seven or eight different stops in between. Okay. And in fact, I got out of the business for about five years. I was a copywriter, advertising copywriter for five years. How come? Because after I left CNN, the phone didn't ring. Ah. And I was unemployed. And I had to reinvent myself. So I did. Good for you. And you just kept going and then see, and, and things happen. I mean, a lot of people right now, I mean, I myself, 19 years of doing radio, bye. It goes away in a flash because of the pandemic. And then you have to, I'm now, you know, I'm 46 years old and I have to reinvent myself. Yep. It's crazy. And so would you, you know, as far as like other Asian Americans who are looking at this, uh, you know, broadcast journalism as a thing they want to do, what would you, you know, what would you like to share with them about that? I would ask them to ask themselves some questions. Do I want to do the work because I really want to be a journalist because I want to learn about things that I don't know about, that I'm interested in writing and communicating that to a larger audience? Am Mm -hmm. I interested in doing the work of a journalist or do I just want to be on TV? Because those are two different things. Elaborate on that more. Well, there's some people who they see being on television and, and being a reporter or an anchor as being kind of a glamorous job. And they don't understand that, well, yeah, you, you're, you know, you're supposed to be doing your own stories. You're supposed to be coming up with ideas. You're supposed to be um, gathering information and facts, researching, verifying, um, enterprising stories. It's not, it's not like somebody just hands you a script and you go into makeup and then you're camera ready and you go, um, I mean, there's there's a lot of work involved and there's a lot of instability. Mm-hmm. I've had so many different jobs. I've collected unemployment in four different states, I think, three or four different states. You mm-hmm. don't know if you might, you might land a great job. Maybe there's more stability now. I don't know. But when I was coming up through the ranks, there wasn't a lot of stability. You could be in a place and then, you know, a new news director swoops in and you're not their cup of tea. So... You have to be prepared for the bumps in the road, I think. And I'm glad you bring that up because we did talk about this a little bit off the air before we jumped onto this podcast. Um, And you have given me permission to talk about this. You know, your situation now, like, you know, what happened? You're not, you know, we don't see you on KOSI. We don't see you on the news. What's going on with you? Oh, yeah, that was my decision. That was my decision. I've been at KUSI for a lovely 17 years. I mean, I did a lot of great work at KUSI. I formed some great relationships. I got to know a lot of different kinds of people throughout the city and the county. Um, Mm -hmm. Really memorable stories, memorable people. I had a great time at KUSI. But the pandemic was, I think, for a lot of us, a way, you know, unfortunately, it was, it disrupted our lives in a big way. Yes. And what I told my news director, Steve Cohen, who gave me my job at KUSI 17 years ago, was that Mm -hmm. uh, the pandemic was disruptive. It was good and it was bad. It, in addition to the disruptions, it also gave me a gift. And he said, what was that gift? And I said, it gave me the gift of reflection. Mm -hmm. 
And I think for a lot of people, it was, fortunately for me, it was a good gift because it allowed me to pause and think, what am I doing in my life that I have put on the back burner Mm -hmm. that I still want to accomplish? Remember, I've always been a kind of a striver, right? I want to do more. Right. What are the things that I have not been able to do because I have been going at this full tilt, you know, 45, 50 hours a week as a journalist, the other things that I would like to do or experiment with or explore that I have not had the time or energy to pursue. And I thought, you know what? The pandemic is giving me a chance to reassess Mm -hmm. my priorities in my life. And I thought, you know what? It's a good time to kind of take my leave right now. I mean, that doesn't mean I'm not a journalist anymore or I'm not interested in journalism. I love journalism. Right. And a part of me will always be thinking like a journalist. But I also have some other interests. I have some creative writing interests. I have interests in theater. I um, have been taking acting classes. Oh, wow. Awesome. And I'm starting to explore opportunities as an actor. Oh, amazing. Yeah. So I'm ha- I'm happy. I mean, I realize that the pandemic has been very hard on us and for some families much more so than others, especially those who've um, lost family members, mm-hmm. lost their um, livelihoods, businesses, everything. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think we have to get through this period together. And, you know, maybe I, maybe in this new capacity or whatever I'm doing, planting seeds in other places, I can try to help in in a different way. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, gosh, I mean, there's so much more I can ask you about. I feel like we have to do a, like a Sasha Fu part two, because, <laughs> you, you know, with, with things changing in, in journalism, um, I, there, God is everything's fast. You're just so fascinating. I'm just so honored to have you here. If anybody wants to, you know, follow your next adventure, your next chapter, is there, are you on social media? Where can we follow you? Where can we find you? You know what? That's a good question, Hula. I haven't really decided. I I have my social media accounts are linked to KUSI, but obviously I'm not associated with KUSI anymore. So I'm going to have to, you and I have to talk about that because I need to figure out what kind of platform, how to promote myself in in a different fashion. So I think that's- I love that. Yeah. Yeah. No, no, I'm, I'm so, I get, I'm happy to help you for sure. Like I said, it's such an honor to even talk to you, um, to be Aww. quite honest, but you know, like I said, uh, unfortunately, gosh, we, we're bringing Sasha back. Okay. Just ladies and gentlemen, we're bringing her back regardless. Um, but <laughs> I want to thank you so much, Sasha, for joining us today. And I really appreciate your time. Oh, that was very sweet. Thank you for the invitation. I hope I didn't bore the heck out of you with my long-winded stories here <laughs> no not at all no you're like i said we i feel like we just scratched the surface on this uh, onion and i'm ready to peel a little bit more layers uh, of the sasha Fu onion just so you know you know okay. but um but ladies and gentlemen if you do uh, want to learn about today more about today's show please visit asianvoicesradio.com you can also let us know about you know future topics you because we'd lo- definitely love to hear from you You can also subscribe to this podcast as well as follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. 
And until next time, I'm Hula Ramos, and I really enjoyed this conversation with Sasha Fu, and we appreciate you joining us for another exciting and thought-provoking Asian Voices radio show. Take care, and until next time, we'll see ya.